Hello, everybody. If you listen to these episodes as they come out, um, thank you. And also, you've been waiting for a little bit for this episode. That's because as we start to record this show better, uh, we are also learning how to record at all. Uh, and myself, how to edit and, and sort of mix. Part of that process is fucking things up, which I have been doing for about a week and a half. Problems have been fixed, though, uh, luckily, so your listening experience today should be okay. Uh, two things to look out for on this episode is that you might catch what sounds like um, like audio glitches or little just sort of like feedback or whatever. Super rare. Uh, in me listening back, I only heard it twice. You might also hear at the end, we had to go to our backup recording. So the last two minutes are going to sound a lot like our first episodes. And that really is just for the last two or three minutes. And I think that the rest of the episode sounds pretty good, all things considered. And they're only going to start sounding uh, better and better, thanks to all the lessons that I've sort of been forced to learn lately. So moving forward, subscribe and look out for us on Sundays with new episodes. Because we were really trying to hit that goal of being... We just want to be a more consistent and better sounding podcast for you guys. So... Thank you for bearing with us, and without further ado, here is Blade Runner Part 2. I'm going to choose not to say that again. That's the take. That's the, that's the way I'm going to have said that. Welcome to Development Hell, one of four podcasts diving deep into the troubled roads of our favorite movies, musicals, movies, music, and more. <laughs> and how, the, the roads that they took to either be miraculously completed or miserably abandoned. I am your host this week, Spike Kittrell, joined as always via the magic of the internet by Kyle Anderson and Richard Humphrey. This week's episode, of course, part two, covering 1982 sci-fi classic Blade Runner, The Final Cut. Boys, good to see you again. It's good to be back uh, in a place, oh, on a podcast with such a good uh, intro for every single episode. Yeah. Every that episode ever. <laughs> that, was some real, assistant. Uh, that was some real school assembly energy you gave that, too. <laughs> yeah, I you realized... Really- Powered through for yeah. the class. <laughs> I really, I realized. Yeah, I have to have the energy of someone who's like got to tell you the new way to walk down the hallway. <laughs> like we're all now going northeast. So four podcasts that tells you the safety of guns. <laughs> one of one of four one podcasts of, started that one week last year. <laughs> yeah, one of four podcasts done by the same two people. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I think last week we kind of ended, uh, they're about to make this, this little full Blade Runner, right? They're about to finish it up, but I think we have some housekeeping to do. We do. That we tasked our listeners <laughs> with doing some digging for an episode that even now has not yet been released. <laughs> um, in fact. Richard did the digging like five minutes after we stopped recording, and I was immediately vindicated for not being a weirdo imagining some shark ending to Blade Runner. Now, I do, I do, I do, I do want to say real quick that Spike was 
having an existential crisis that like on his podcast of his favorite episode, he ended it with this weird shark thing that he imagined. <laughs> no, yeah. It had it was like when else is this going to be worth mentioning? Uh so Richard, yeah, you found something. What did you find for us? Uh so I I found a forum called bladezone.com which is a just a basically a GeoCities website dedicated to everything Blade Runner and hasn't been updated since 2017. Um and right so when I, maybe start start that bitch up again, right? <laughs> <laughs> Got something coming down the line. Um Blade Zone died in 2049. We could be the official podcast of Blade Zone, I'm pretty sure. And a Oh yeah. This is the most anyone's ever talked about Blade Zone. <laughs> yeah, this is the most press. <laughs> and so what so you found, I think I may have had it pulled up too. It was a forum post uh, in something called the Blade Runner Roundtable. It said regarding the possibility of Tyrell as a replicant. The, right, uh, and so and this this was my weird, potentially false memory, a la a unicorn running through the woods, um, that there was an ending to Blade Runner, uh, written or even shot or you know conceptualized, where after killing Tyrell, um, and re revealing that Tyrell is a replicant, Beatty goes upstairs and doesn't find some real Tyrell. They found the mind of Tyrell. Uh, put into a like a telepathic shark, <laughs> which even saying it now, having some form of confirmation on this forum is like it still sounds like I just made that up. Yeah, it sounds like a group of you made it up and started a website called Blade Zone. No, I I very well very well may have like I don't know I must have obviously stumbled upon Blade Zone <laughs> <laughs> because you found this thing in the forum about that. Yeah, um, I'm trying to find it again because uh, I left it up from a week ago. But Let's see. now, <clears throat> the moderators of Blade Zone, <laughs> uh, Rutger Hauer, Harrison Ford. <laughs> yeah, Harrison <laughs> Ford is on there. Like, oh, listen, guys, you have to stay on topic. These threads are getting out of control. We got to keep the brand alive, but don't get stupid. <laughs> Has, Don't has, get has, crazy. Has Harrison Ford ever liked that he was in a movie? So in this documentary, <laughs> it, it, and we'll get into the narration, sort of the biggest controversy of this movie. Um, he said, like, upon seeing the director's cut with the narration removed was the first time he ever had an enjoyable experience watching Blade Runner. So I think that he just, like, I think he feels it. I think whatever he's doing... Um, you can kind of smell it on press tours too, where like for Blade Runner and even maybe The Force Awakens, like he liked it and he liked the work. But I think that he'll only like a finished product as much as he liked the work on it. I think he's aware of what he's working on when he's working on it, and then he walks away not giving a shit the moment he's offset. So he's like unaware and, of the yeah. impact something like he's in has. And it's just. At first, it was cute when he was like a young hot guy in Hollywood, and now he's just sort of like grumpy Harrison Ford, and it's what you expect is for him not to give a shit that he was an Anchorman too. You I know? mean, but at the same time, it's like he's an he's just such an employee. Yeah, and he's a great employee, but 
but you can tell that like this, he is at work and whether he's at on Jimmy Kimmel or he's making, you know, like, you know, 42 or star Wars, he's like at work and he's showing up and he's like, all right, what am I contracted to do? Okay. I'll do that as best I can. I don't think he phones things in. I don't think he's really necessarily. I I don't think he phones things in. It's just like, it's interesting to be, an actor I think that he has phoned like... in Morning Glory. No, okay. he's dialed well, in in Morning Glory. Your Morning Glories, <laughs> you're allowed to phone in, but like the guy has like three of so the it makes biggest... him not phoning in. So he, he has three of the biggest pop culture characters like of all time, right? Mm-hmm. Like Age of Adeline, <laughs> obviously. Uh huh. Um, he was in Anchorman Two. Anchorman Two is as said. a uh, remember a day moon is out. That makes me aware, Panther. And, cr- That's and yeah, uh, movie. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So, yep. three of the biggest... <laughs> Cowboys and aliens. Mm-hmm. No, but it's like... And no, then he's not, he's not seemingly ever, like, starstruck at the idea that he's these characters. You know what I mean? Like, you have sort of, like, the mm-hmm. Tom Holland's of the world that are like, I'm Spider-Man! Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're you know? John Boyega's. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like... It's interesting that he's sort of like always been like, "Yep, I guess I'm also Han Solo." <laughs> Nerd, but it's not the other <laughs> side where he's like, uh, "But he's also not on the other side where he's like, but I'm a dis- like I don't want to be Han Solo." He seems to think I think he right. knows it's cool, but but it's like he knows that the coolest way to be Han Solo is to not care about it, which contrasts so heavily with Mark Hamill, who's <laughs> like, "Who is a nerd? I will be Luke." Yeah, like. Yeah, who's a nerd and only has one of these. But I also the other think is a voiceover, you know. The the key difference is like Harrison Ford took the money deal that they didn't take and he got a lot of fuck you money early on. And a lot of them had to work a lot harder later on to like make it work career-wise. Well, I'm sorry the others, you're not Harrison Ford. The other thing Harrison Ford has is that he's like a really, really great actor and still is and was when he first started acting. Like, I, I, I apologize that Mark Hamill has turned in like three great performances in his career. They're great. But like Harrison Ford was a movie star. It's like the family guy joke yeah. where he's like, he goes like, I'm Han Solo and the only actor not ruined by this movie. It's like no <laughs> one else survived out of Star Wars. Yeah, the classic friend situation. Yeah, it's a classic friend, and, and I think Harrison Ford would be the first to admit that he's in a classic friend situation. Yes, he, he goes, I'm clearly the Aniston of the pack. <laughs> Always saw myself as more of a Ross. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. When I watch that show, I identify with Ross. When I, I look just... at my IMDb, I I, I much more connect <laughs> with Rachel. <laughs> I'm just imagining that scene. Uh, from from Last Jedi when Princess Leia is like floating through space, but it's Ross. <laughs> Explaining to Kylo that they were on a break. Yeah, it's the moist maker, Kylo. <laughs> the moist maker. God damn. <laughs> I'm having a margarita. We're talking about moist makers, folks. <laughs> is you have a bottled margarita mm-hmm. it's a cayman jack well cayman's jack margarita that looks oh, like man we had a we supermarket. get we get, <laughs> we get we get one episode 
recorded well and we're already like, what are you guys drinking? <laughs> hey, listeners, oh, if man. you guys want to come hang out in the Development Hell uh, Discord, we have a Discord, Discord now. Yeah, it'd be fun to see these live and see them like 30 minutes shorter or 30 <laughs> minutes longer than the release version. <laughs> um, so, okay, wait, Richard, did you find this <laughs> this? Yeah, I found it. Thing. So, um, the info is uh, I forgot that we were stalling for time. Uh, yeah, it's like <laughs> half a sentence, all this build up. <laughs> yeah, it is half a sentence for uh, David Peoples scripted that whole situation where he goes up uh, to the next level and Tyrell's brain is frozen at uh, Ridley's like, request. But it, David wanted it to be a shark in the fish tank instead of a frozen brain. And so there is a version of the script that is the shark. Which, if you think about that, in the context of that, is that David Peoples is brought in to replace Hampton Fancher as sort of like, Ridley's going crazy and we need someone who can handle that. And you would argue that that's where David Peoples started, like, snapping. And it's like, oh, there's a fucking fake Tyrell now? What if he's a fucking shark? Like, he's, I wonder if that was even a real pitch or if that was David Peoples cracking. <laughs> and that was when Ridley, like, pulled out his cigar and was like, he just pitched me a shark. We're ready to shoot. <laughs> he had to break two writers to know that the movie's ready to go. Yeah, you know how like uh, Walt Disney has like always insisted that you Photoshop out any cigarette that's like in his hand. It's mm-hmm. like the opposite oh, of sure. Scott. He's like, put more cigars in my hand. <laughs> it's un- if you watch this like five-hour documentary. Um, it's like it's nonstop. He was always like smoking cigars or cigarettes, or it's crazy. And everyone like tells stories like that where they're like, oh, "I remember Ridley. He's got his macanudo between the teeth, and he told me, fuck you.'" <laughs> he looks so good for his age and smokes that many cigars. I'm starting to think there's some propaganda. <laughs> yeah, Teddy. Um. Well, so like Kyle said. Like Kyle said, uh, they were just about making Blade Runner. Um, just about and, Blade uh, the Runner there. So a few other little technical mishaps uh, are throughout. And a lot of these aren't even visible in the cuts that the cut that we we're watching and talking about. Um, one was like, and this gets into sort of the different cuts of the movie. Um, there's the big stunt where Zora, the exotic dancer with the snake, is uh, killed and goes through all the plates of glass, through all the neon and the snow. And originally, they were. It's like this is where the production is starting to get so sped up. Uh, producer Bud Yorkin is like on. <laughs> Fuck. It's another like. I, I, I did a yeah. <laughs> I did a quick check to see if Bud, Bud Yorkin with Kyle. <laughs> he's like. Um, uh, he's like. Oh, an Icelandic folklore character. <laughs> no, he only dances. He's, he produces yeah. through dance. <laughs> he does jigs. Um, he uh, is basically on set like every day rushing Ridley. Ridley's taking too much time. These setups are going too long. Obviously, like anything that's a night shoot outside with rain and smoke and 100 extras carrying their own light umbrellas is going to take a second to set up. Um, the other issue with Bud Yorkin is that he had only ever produced two movies that he hadn't directed. So he's kind of directing the movie. He wants to be directing the movie. He's directing Ridley. Like, why are you doing that? Which is not great for 
someone has already, even it's, you know, their third movie, someone as assured as Ridley Scott is not really going to have that. I, I was going to say, that does not sound like how Ridley likes to play. <laughs> nope. I told him, please tell me exactly what to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, because of this, there's things that are getting rushed. One uh, sort of famous issue with the original cuts of the movie, all the way up to the final cut, uh, was that the woman Zora, the stunt woman, they didn't really have a hairpiece for her that worked. So they basically like had one red hairpiece, which was essentially like an afro. And they put this on her. The stunt woman is like visibly 15 years older than the actress and runs through in like four different shots. Um, so this is an issue that's eventually um, fixed in the digital, all the digital work um, done for the final cut, where they actually replaced and digitally put the actress's face on this. But it was like this famous issue of like, suddenly an old woman with very short curly hair is running through like in the most pivotal part of this movie so far and then cuts back to this young gorgeous actress um that's so funny there are these stories now where the suits this is basically bud yorkin and his people are coming in like every day ridley ignores them in the morning they cut for lunch and ridley is taken in for a meeting with these suits they come out and Ridley is suddenly basically like asking for one take less. Like he's just every, trying. Every morning I break all my bones and every night <laughs> I rip all my skin. <laughs> it's genuinely like, for, I, even though it's not necessarily that he's young, but at a young, with a young film career, he's still like really sticking to his guns and like, You've paid for a Ridley Scott movie. Why do you keep coming in and telling me how to make like a Bud Yorkin movie? Um, a Bud the, Yorkin movie sounds like it's got horses. Well, you also have to remember that, which this has. This has, or and maybe that was a note he listened to from Bud Yorkin, like put a horse in it. <laughs> yeah, all the horses are Bud Yorkin's work. Yeah, What's with the Yorkin no horse. horses? <laughs> um, so another thing that get that hits production. It's basically like day to day issues. It's not your typical like apocalypse now where people are having heart attacks and stuff. It's like there's a stunt and this a lot of it comes from Ridley needing multiple takes and taking too long. So uh, there's the stunt where uh, the uh, Daryl Hannah's character does backflips and like lands on tries to land on Deckard and hits the wall and starts shaking and Ridley runs this female gymnast for like 20 minutes doing this backflip and she just gets fucking exhausted. So eventually the stunt coordinator um, after lunch that day like brings in this like top tier male gymnast who is huge. Like like a just jack dude who does not look like Daryl Hannah. Um, and he just goes full speed basically getting paid per take like under I the get table. paid for flip. <laughs> and he's like going this dude's going hard and he's in the movie. There are tons of shots in the movie at the end where Daryl Hannah's character is being played by male stunt doubles who, like, could handle two days of Ridley making them do a kick. Um, rips. So, there are other things that are, like, just getting cut out of budget. Um, things like, there's, like, a hev Zora, the, the snake dancer. There was originally, this is another example of, like, something that would make David Peoples melt trying to write, um, which is that there was something that was originally going to be Zora's snake dance, where Zora started as a snake in the center of this mud pit that grew up and morphed into, like, this gorgeous 
dancer. And it was this heavily choreographed dance with the actress. And then they were like, this is the most expensive, insane fucking thing I've ever heard of. It was like effects that resemble, um, I would imagine would have resembled like the liquid Terminator in T2, right. which was only possible like 15 years later. But that exact scene is used in uh, what, uh, Fantastic Beast 2 when Nagini is actually a woman. <laughs> Yeah, they saved it for Fantastic <laughs> Beast too. It was probably yeah, what they it, figured on yeah. set. They were like, Ridley, don't Warner's worry. Just, Warner's threw that in the back pocket. Don't, Ridley, like, don't worry. Grindelwald's going to do those crimes. <laughs> oh, man. Grindelwald we'll have now J.K. Rowling by... pay for this fucking scene. <laughs> Grindelwald is eventually going to have been played by every man, right? <laughs> yeah, every he'll, be like, he'll be like the... Charming. It'll be like the KFC ads where they just cycle through the <laughs> Norm McDonald's going to be in the Norm fourth McDonald's one. Norm McDonald's is Grindelwald. Hey, Dumbledore. Dude, hey, Dumbledore. Why, why aren't we friends anymore, huh? I'm saying here, Dumbledore, I mean, geez. <laughs> Did you guys see that Lifetime movie that was like 15 minutes long where Mario Lopez plays like a hot guy who makes chicken at this house? And he's like yeah. Colonel Sanders? No. Yeah. Yeah, no, KFC be wildin' with their marketing. Uh, they, they like, came out with shoes. They've come out with, like, <laughs> I didn't know that. gaming console comes out in, like, three months. Yeah, they're dropping a game system. Wait, okay, um, so that's really, uh, uh, like, a KFC-affiliated thing? Yeah, Probably. it's a, um, they partnered with a website that does custom-build PCs, and they're just making one that also can heat up chicken. Finally, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where it's like they're they're just trying to get people to tweet, you know. Sure, it's oh, working man. well. And you know what? You know chicken. what? You know all they need me to get to, to get me a tweet is keep making those fries. <laughs> get fries now. <laughs> <laughs> Only oh. restaurant that sells good fries and gravy. You got my. Place. I've never. I mean, I, this is a pretty this this episode has nothing but tangents ahead. So, mm-hmm. But I gotta add to it that like I've never had an experience at like a KFC <laughs> or like at a drive-through that wasn't like I felt like I upset somebody. <laughs> like so, I lived across the street from a KFC, so you know it was a good, nice neighborhood uh, yeah. for like a year, and uh, finally drove through, ordered me a buffalo chicken sandwich for some reason. It <laughs> sounds like I a terrible thing to order. It came oh no, it was not the move. It was not the move. So, but here's the thing: is I get to the window, they give me the bag, uh, and at tip, and you know, the money has already happened. Typically, I'm allowed to leave, but he like she basically like shoves her fist back out her window and goes, "Give me that." And I'm like, "What the the food that I own now?" So she's like, "Yeah, I give it to her. Give me that." Is the last thing she ever says to me. She goes in, seconds later, she gives me the bag again. And I'm like, well, something just happened to this bag. (laughs) And I look in, and clearly they had forgotten to put, like, buffalo sauce on it. But instead of, like, bringing the sandwich out, they kind of just dumped (laughs) buffalo sauce (laughs) into the bag. (laughs) That was mostly on, like, the wrapped sandwich and so leading me to pull into go across the street go home and like undo the the wrap and like smear my sandwich into the splatter 
So what we're saying is uh, you can so use our promo use? code DevHell at KFC for 15% off. This has become, I've, only, I've now told two horrific um, <laughs> drive through sandwich stories in the last two weeks, three weeks. Oh my god. Actually, I don't know if that's true. I think I will tell another story next week. That's so awful. <laughs> oh man. Um, well, so Ridley Scott, guys, uh, he was not very well liked by the crew. I think any director that like that like wants to do things and do things a lot and slowly maybe isn't. Um, you think Ridley Scott someone... ever had a good time at a drive-through? <laughs> <laughs> I said I wanted chicken fries. They spent eight years oh, developing man. chicken fries for him. <laughs> yeah. They make proprietary chicken fry technology just for him. You ask for Ridley Scott money. You want Ridley Scott money. You make fries that are chicken. <laughs> so at a certain point, um, there is this moment in the production called the T-Shirt Wars. Um, that is the most petty <laughs> shit you will ever hear in your fucking life. We lost a lot so, of good men in the t-shirt wars. <laughs> Dude, they talk about it a, a lot of big bit, dogs. Like that. They reference it like so the, the Clone t- Wars is referenced in Star Wars. You fought in the t-shirt wars? Oh, you... Um, so... The t-shirt wars are basically just... <laughs> um, uh, Ridley did some interview during the production, and he was quoted saying that he preferred British crews over American crews. Now, Ridley Scott is British. Oi, like, bruv. He had just... Yo, I got a cruise, then. <laughs> Yo, I got a cruise there, bruv. Pretty good, pretty good first ID, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> How are you starting on time over and right anyway? Oh, Oi, where's your crafting, mate? <laughs> God damn it. Go and bring in the gym, mate. The gym. <laughs> I'd prefer oh, that too. That Christ. sounds way fucking better. You kidding me? <laughs> no, you probably get a lot more done. Yeah. Um. So no the crew hears about this, and like, on like this, like I don't know what this is. Like they just fucking couldn't stand it. I think he was already obviously getting on their nerves. Um. But they did two things. One was they printed copies of that, like hundreds of copies of that article and left them all over the set, which like, don't. Oh, <laughs> um, my. This we isn't a great read, way. We was, we was reading the article 400 times. Why did someone put it on a t-shirt? <laughs> We're too stupid to read this article so fast. <laughs> um, and they also made a t-shirt that read, yes, governor, my ass. <laughs> Which in 82 is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. That sounds that like something people in Nevada would put on their mask pod. right now. Yes, governor, my yeah. ass. <laughs> um, so Ridley sees this and is like, I, I guess I don't understand this. But to my shock watching this documentary... It ends with another t-shirt being commissioned, which is Ridley makes a shirt that says xenophobia sucks. <laughs> a nut, like, again, 
a, some, another thing you'd put, you'd see on a mask right now. Yeah. And yeah. it was literally, it's, I, when I first heard, thought it might have been a reference to him having made Alien, like a little, like, xenomorph. Like xenomorph thing. But he was literally like, it's not cool to not like different cultures. And to, like, I, I, I don't know what this is, but they basically all just started wearing these shirts at each other. The globally persecuted English. Wait, I, I guess like, <laughs> he like he like wore a like I'm for both sides shirt in the middle of a war between people working on a movie. Oh, like, I know it'll solve what, it. That he started. Shirt. Yeah, this is like yeah, this is like if you fucking bombed Pearl Harbor and then you were just like, look, we all hate violence and war. <laughs> look, we don't like explosions near waves. We can all agree. With like, if there's one thing we don't like, it's Pearl Harbor stuff. Yeah, how about we give you a cherry blossom? Um, so uh, basically, like everyone just started wearing these shirts at each other. There's, there's like not, there's like, I don't know why you include. The only reason this would be included in this big documentary is if enough of the crew were talking about it. You know what it is. You know what it is, Spike. Is what is that it now? At, at that time, shirts were memes. That was the only, like, whoa, a reference to things. You couldn't post a meme, but, like, like the Don't Tread on Me shirt was, like, dumb Republican meme proto. Sure. uh, And I guess that makes sense, too, of, like, you're on a set. There's not much other things to, like, other means of big ideas and discourse. You know, know, one of these shitty dudes has, like, a screen predict thing in the back of his truck because he rolls with the dead or something, so he just starts banging these out in the parking lot for ten apiece, and everybody's like, yeah, I'll do that. Well, you know the costume department just has a screen printer because they want to make as many different t-shirts as possible in the backgrounds at all times, so they're just using company money to be petty. You know Harrison Ford was offered both of these shirts. You know he has both of those shirts, and then just gave them away as like because uh, he didn't care. Like he just used it to not, like wash his car. Yeah. How do you not put on the xenophobia sock shirt? I feel like that's a shirt that you get backed into the corner with her. Because to not put it on, if there's like eight people wearing xenophobia sock shirts, and then you're just holding one. <laughs> Guys, let's make that the first Dev Hell merch. Is just xenophobia sock shirts. <laughs> Xenophobia sucks my ass. <laughs> my ass. <laughs> uh, do you think that there was like a uh, a bunch of little uh, little people on the JF Sebastian set wearing really big baggy? <laughs> yes, Governor, my ass shirts. Sorry, the only printed larges and above. We're sorry. <laughs> it's just like draped back, like a. They look like a little like kid wearing their Cinderella. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Oh, it'll be a night. It'll be a sleep shirt. Be a sleep shirt for the little Napoleon bear. Yeah, oh you, you t- the camera turns to a bear in a t-shirt that says "We go there." We go there. Oh my god! <laughs> so, a list starts like starts up. It's basically of crew members that quit. Like it becomes a real problem where people are just like. Fuck these long hours. Fuck how long this is going over over everything, you know. Uh, and again, Ridley's just like he comes from com- commercials too, which are sort of a get it done, get it done fast, big ideas thing. So you can imagine he's like been validated by Alien, and he's just like, I'm making my crazy person movie. I'm making my 
I can imagine a director in this setting is like, this might be my apocalypse now. I, I need to just keep going. There was no point in being crazy with my writer a year ago if I'm not going to be crazy <laughs> on this set now. Right. Like, why would I? He can't. He kind of can't go back on this. He has to just keep going and keep going big. Imagine, so imagine start sitting quitting. through 300 fucking meetings about the umbrella design and then someone being like, should we rein this in? And you're like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> rain this yeah. in. I spent the last year and a half trying to rain this out, bitch. I, uh, now, oh, look, guys, I just looked it up. A little known fact, there was also an umbrella that said xenophobia sucks. That's a cool umbrella. That's a, if you add, if you ask me what's another thing that had that printed on it, I wouldn't have said umbrella. That's typically something no one can see what is, you're holding it above everyone's head. Mm-hmm. But God can yeah. see it. That's true. Um, so the shark god can see it. Shark. So, um, it's the only god I recognize. So now we're at the last day of production, which was apparently twenty-seven hours. That's not. Dang. Um, Turns it was out. one of those Turns where it was like, day. it's <laughs> by definition not a day of production. <laughs> yeah. Um, but basically, like they showed up on set, they didn't leave for twenty-seven hours, and this is because like. Technically, it's like we have budgeted for one more day. And uh, with the way they shot, it was like their days lasted until the sun came up. Their last day of production was on the roof. It was Beatty's famous death scene. Um, the You mean uh, the famous shark scene? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, this famous scene. Or is tears I, think lost. Uh, I think it's really fucked up that they took that role away from all the like able shark actors in Hollywood that are going to crush that. Yeah, you know, you I know. Finding Nemo well, shark. The, well, it was the eighties. Things are shark. different now. They make they make you know we've got the Meg. We've got yeah. We made Finding yeah. Dory. Shark Tail. Shark Tail. Yeah, we've done a lot. Um, we've done our part. Water. Yeah, no. Seven meters below. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Below too. Some movie where there's a lake and it's like a freshwater shark, but I can't remember the name of it. There's Lake Placid. Well, there was about the... the crocodile. And then there's like the Sharknado and all the ones where it's like shark versus like lobster zombie yeah. and stuff like shark, that. Shark. Do y'all know about Lava Lantula? Yeah. I the do now. Avalanche of lava. <laughs> I only listened to Lava Lantula's first EP, but it was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Of a lava. They're mostly producing now. Um, so on the, the roof is the famous scene, the, the famous monologue, uh, according to Rutger Hauer, who seems like the guy who just shows another kind of like, um, Anglo-European, like Harrison Ford, like shows up, does work. Don't complain. It sucks, but let's move on kind of guy. And he also was like really pushing Ridley in terms of bringing his own ideas. I think he was a good match for Ridley in terms of like, what if I thought of crazy shit too? <laughs> and things like that were like, oh, your stuntman could barely jump from roof to roof. And that's why now we have Deckard like hanging off the roof. What if you roll the set closer and then I can do the whole jump? Now that's a cool idea, but it now forces like Ridley's hand in terms of like slowing down the production even more. So they do that. It's great. Another thing is he's just like, 
I, I grabbed a dove and I think I should hold a dove this whole time. And then like when I die, I, I let go of the dove. I think there were just, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those sets where there's just doves around. So he's just making the movie way better. Yeah. Uh, it's sim- like, Hey, what if this scene was good? Well, <laughs> like, even to that point, Rutger Hauer also famously rewrote that entire speech. Where like overnight he was looking at the script and it's like this. And if you look at this documentary, it shows you a little bit of the original speech and it is fucking terrible. It's and he describes it as just like generic sci-fi stuff that means nothing. And you watch him do it and he's literally like love, sex, all these things you take for granted, like just dying robot stuff. Yeah. And so he writes a few of these lines and then he eventually writes like the morning of, uh, you know, all those memories lost, uh, like tears and rain and brings it. Everyone loves it. He gives the thing and it's crazy. Uh, they saved the original speech for Grindelwald's speech at the end of uh, fantastic Beasts two, the crimes of Grindelwald. <laughs> Does he have a great speech? Yeah, it would have been really funny if at the end, it, like, he pitches this whole thing and he, like, really brings it in the room when he's pitching yeah. it, like, the re-reading it, he's like, look, tears and rain. And they're just like, this is if they had gotten a British crew, they just would be like, oi, bruv! <laughs> Pretty gay, mate! <laughs> is he gonna do the script or we gotta leave with that? <laughs> Once you talk about a dove, mate, we don't got any doves, mate. This movie's about a bear and his friend. <laughs> this guy ain't even being in the movie thinks he knows how it should end. He thinks he knows what he should say at the end. Yes. <laughs> his castle wants us to move to fucking set so he can fucking jump. I say, you get to fucking jump a feather, mate. He slows down the day two hours and then he says a bunch of shit no one ever wrote. Bunch of fucking shaving on the fucking page, mate. Christ, I don't know how we can leave. What do we got? Only 24 more hours to the day. Okay. Yeah, at least it's only 26 more hours in the workday, mate. Luckily in England, days are 27 <laughs> hours long. This all became Australian. Listen, mate, um, Lindsay, the Africa film in here, mate. <laughs> I stayed out of this because my British accent is so bad. I'm going to eventually start doing a good French accent. <laughs> <laughs> That's your mission. That's where it accidentally comes in. Um, so eventually, while they're shooting the scene, the sun comes up, which just means like we're done. Um, and the suits the are on. like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can smell the donuts getting made. You, you're, you're done. You're wrapped up. But basically, <laughs> the suit in the suits, this <laughs> like tears in rain. Rock a doodle. Hey, what, did you hear that? Oh, oh mate, cut? I'm starting to think maybe Sir the Dove, he should be holding a rooster, mate. Hey, hold, hold, hold for rooster. Hold for hold fucking for rooster, rooster, mate. We're going to catch one, mate. We've been trying to fucking <laughs> run around trying to catch one of these fast little fuckers all day, mate. Rocker says a rooster can't fly, but we've made a bunch of other weird shit in this movie. We could make it fly. Uh, oh, oi, mate, what if, what if the rooster's gone, mate? <laughs> Cheeky little god rooster, mate. <laughs> what if Tyrell's a chicken? Huh? <laughs> now, there's, 
And Ridley's just like, I love having this energy on set. <laughs> yeah, Ridley can't get fucking enough. That's how Chicken Run was made. Yeah, so when the Chicken Run, <laughs> Chicken Run, the From most Grindelwald famously British movie Chicken ever made. Chicken Run, Crabs of Grindelwald, Blade Runner shared universe, starring Mads Mikkelsen. <laughs> this is my screencraft article. <laughs> um. So when the sun comes up, Chicken the suits Run is like, "Yay, movie. we get to." No. So when the sun comes up, <laughs> the suits are happy. Uh, that they get to just like shut down the movie. They've like been waiting to say, "Yay, we're not making Blade Runner anymore." They um, want to close down Animal House, hundred percent. And it's like, but the thing is that that Ridley's not done. The, the, they haven't gotten what they need, and this is obviously like the most important and in retrospect, like the best scene in the movie. And they basically take chainsaws yeah. to the set. Uh, like basically cut everything off of the roofs of these sets and bring them into the soundstage and reset all the lighting and fin get their last shots inside. And that's what sort of made it like a double or triple shooting day. Um, but basically they were wrapped uh, and everything. They, and they got everything that Ridley wanted that uh, despite the sort of micromanaging of Bud Yorkin, of course. Um, and, the very next day, as they're breaking down sets and starting to go into production, everybody on payroll gets a um, letter from Bud Yorkin's company and lawyers uh, effectively firing everybody, including Ridley Scott. They basically exercise their rights to finish the movie uh, with Bud Yorkin wanting changes and removals and huge changes basically to what has been shot. More um, like, not your Bud Yorkin. Yeah, not a good Bud Yorkin. Uh, so this is a great place to go into some things that Kyle and Richard have found on Blade Zone. Okay, I found this this sort of Buck Wild twenty forty nine uh, uh, fan fiction. This was written in twenty eighteen uh, by Godslayer mm. for an empty chat room, basically, because I thought this thing was dead. Is this not on Blade Zone? That one's uh, not on Blade Zone because um, no. Blade Zone is very specific with their fan fiction in that it cannot be slash fiction or cross with any other universe. Slash fiction being when they have sex. Yeah. Uh, and also, like, when the uh, characters make love. No, slash fiction is when it's like uh, Marvel meets Star Wars or, like, you know, and, Winnie the Pooh and Twilight. Okay. Yeah. What was the second one you just said out loud? Winnie the Pooh and Twilight. All right. Well, I mean, we got to find that, right? Oh, Bartholomew. <laughs> Your hands are ice cold. C-U-L-L-E-N. Say it. <laughs> You're a taker. Okay. <laughs> the Volturi are just half-lumps and woozles. There's um, three stories. All right, um, so I just want to read some excerpts from this uh, fan fiction just because I think it's kind of fun. Um, so this is one month uh, since Kay got shot by love. 
Uh, the memory of Deckard saving Kay from a snowy rooftop was seared into his head. The memory had to be real, not implanted. It was very real and haunted him every day. Deckard picked up the bleeding Kay from outside the memory workshop and placed him into the spinner, injuring his old man back in the process. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking rude. Kay was bleeding, but it was nothing some bandages and a good bit of rubbing alcohol couldn't fix. He, want, he still had to abandon the Wallace Corporation and get away. Now, here Kay was, sitting in his new apartment watching The Simpsons reruns on Fox. In between the time... <laughs> what? In between the runtime was the ever-present commercials. Pretty typical. Coke ads, insurance, Versa Life products, cyberpunk Walmart sales, the new Joy no. selections. God, Kay. Miss Joy. Love not only tried and failed to kill him, but she did kill his beautiful eager. All the sweet, sweet intercourse with the fusion of Marlet, uh, the prostitute, and Joy really fucked with Kay's head. Now he felt more of a need for not only Joy, but for SEX, in all caps. Kay might be an artificial man, but his manliness sure has sentience. Something needed. <laughs> oh, no. Sentient so he- manliness. So he's gonna go buy a new, uh, a new one. He goes to a shop, um, and the person at the shop does say my favorite line, which is "Your." I just want to say, yeah. Wait, what does he say? It's your e-girl costs fifteen thousand dollars. This okay? (laughs) (laughs) That cool? That gonna work? That cool? Um, I I just want to say that um, sentient when like at the before we decided on toxic masculinity. Sentient manliness was also considered. It was on the table, yeah, it was on the whiteboard. Honestly, I'm gonna start using it. Uh, yeah. Okay, Sorry, that's so, just my sentient manliness. I don't know if this is me trying to control things. If I'm being sort of like having sentient manliness. She handed him the emanator, and Kay was on his merry way back home. Back at home, Kay plugged the emanator into the wall, allowing. E-girl to transition into house waifu, and then parenthesis oh, starts, no. and it says, shut the fuck up, autocorrect, waifu is a word, you goddamn mongoloid, close parenthesis. Um, oh, also, there was a line when he was buying the, the thing that said, uh, you and lots of luck, your joy model saved herself on a SanDisk flash drive we found in your apartment in LA, and she also uploaded herself to Google Drive. Kind of like the fun world building with the Google Drive in there. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he, uh, you goddamn mongoloid. Uh, Joy projected herself in front of Kay and did that gay shit where she spins around. <laughs> because... <laughs> wait, wait, I didn't hear what you said. After did that gay shit. <laughs> That's some real uh, sentient manliness. Yeah. Joy, what did Joy you just projected say? herself in front of Kay and did that gay shit where she spins around because, and in quotes, whoa, dude, I'm able to walk, like in the movie. So, like, this guy is offering some, like, criticism of, of the movie, too. Like criticism, but decided this was the world he wanted to play in. No, yeah, he's in um, the theater and he's like, that's some gay shit, but I still like my idea. Kay's eyes lit up as he sprung forward, attempting to hug the holographic XX chromosome being. No. This is very incel written. Uh, She's not real, so the machine man dived directly into the floor with a large thud, leaving a hole in the ground into the apartment underneath due to his enhanced strength. 
Sorry, Kay whispered to the angry Italian man residing <laughs> underneath his <laughs> That's awesome. Look his head out of the floor. Kay couldn't wait to talk to Joy. Uh, I'm so happy we're together, he mumbled. I am too, she responded. Before they could say any more, a volley of bangs slammed against the door. Cautiously, Kay removed his pistol from his fucking sick jacket. It says that? <laughs> Who are you? It says removed his pistol from his fucking sick jacket. Ugh. Who are you, and why are you at my apartment? He questioned while positioning the gun toward the door. Silence. After five seconds was a reply. I'm from Utico. Or Un- Unetco? Unatco? Unatco? One of those. Uh, I'm here to help you. The disembodied voice firmly stated, Yanako, why would Yanako want anything to do with me? Maybe he wasn't real. Maybe it could be a Wallace plant sent to kill me. I can't afford to lose joy again, pondered Kay. The synthetic man moved closer to the door and opened the slit into the hallway. Before him was a fairly beefy man with black hair and dark sunglasses. More concerning was a series of blue lines embedded into the left side of his skull. He looked to be the real deal. Kay hesitantly turned the knob, allowing the strange man inside his abode. <laughs> I mean... That's pretty awesome. He Apart from that later gay say, shit. Kay, Kay, Kay simply nodded yes. They were onto him. Kay placed his pistol back into his super stylish leather jacket <laughs> and turned to face his choice. This is like, this really... guy's main takeaway was that jacket. Yeah. Yeah. Bad... Gay, gay dancing, cool. It also jacket. like, and we haven't talked much about twenty forty nine, but like, assuming people have seen that too, this leads. This is like under the idea that the events of. Well, doesn't he die in twenty forty nine? Hold on, hold on, hold yeah. on, hold on. This is great. I skipped forward a little bit. Uh, um, this is his like. Joe this gave, is his unicorn. Joe dream. gave. Yeah. Joe gave an exacerbated glance at House Waifu, who was smiling from digital ear to digital ear. She began walking into the bedroom as well. This was it. I guess it was going to happen now of all times. Yes. He really wanted to pound the woman again and pretend that that was it. But I guess this is the next best thing. Here we go. Kay picked his head up, removed his epic fur-lined jacket, and walked into the bedroom. God Damn! So it's the straightest this JC shit I've guy ever heard. who came to the door, the guy who came to the door, and him are gonna run a train on Joy. So he comes into the room, and Kate says, first things first, no homo. Ugh. I'm a proud straight man, and you can't take that away from Whoa. me." This is a kind of person I didn't know wrote fan fiction. <laughs> I don't know. I know I don't have a soul, but that doesn't mean I have no dignity. Jesus oh my God! Christ. Why are we reading this? <laughs> oh my God! That took a turn Man, for the. Okay, well that's. I think that's enough for the. Of huh? that. For the. Wait, what? Speaking of things, <laughs> Kyle only read the first this, two lines of. The last line of this script. Oh my God! He fucking shoots the dude in the head during the threesome. Oh, did like, he try some homo shit? Um, I want to share something I just found, uh, which is Winnie the Pooh and the Sex Vampires. It is... (laughs) 
Oh, no, I'm just, I thought I was looking at the whole thing, but this has three chapters. I'll read you the first chapter. Do you want me to read my thing while you look over that? I've got it ready for you, and I want to close with another Blade Runner, because we got to get back into Blade Runner. All right. Winnie the Pooh was standing in the Hundred Yard Woods, waiting for his friend Christopher Hundred Robin. Hundred Yard? I know, that's new. Maybe, maybe <laughs> for, um... <laughs> This person doesn't even know the lore. I think maybe, you know, copyright. You know, you never know if this is going to get optioned. Um, it should be noted that this person's uh, name is Doomsday Jesus, and their avatar is Oscar Wilde. That just, I feel like, is worth <laughs> noting. Uh, the lights above him blinked, and the moon was shining. Full as usual, it had been ever since the invasion of sex vampires. Then he saw something strange. It was a nation attack. Now, now this does posit the interesting notion of we never see an invasion into the Hundred Acre Woods, but sort of or like the Hundred Yard Woods, how militarized like York could get. <laughs> yeah, they like, no, yeah. Notice. Tigger like, can't mobilize. I always say they can have the Blue Angels, uh, like ready with like attack guns yeah. in like eight hours or something. Like yeah, how yeah. how fast could we get Rue an Uzi? <laughs> A Ruzi? <laughs> a Ruzi. A Ruzi. <laughs> Fuck. Um, then he saw something strange. It was scary in a sort of odd, shiny way. Kango with a maze. Hey, it was definitely not a heffalump. It was a sex vampire. No! Winnie the Pooh froze in terror. This wasn't the way he had expected to lose his virginity. Oh, Bob. This is... That is quite the leap. <laughs> that is that is a line where it is like, this is not the way he expected to lose his virginity. Because it's like, do you ever walk down the street and you see a stranger and you're like, well, I'm about to have sex. <laughs> hey, that's some real sentient manliness if I've ever heard it. Um, yeah, seriously. The sex vampire landed before Winnie and stared him right into his eyes for then to speak. He has Let the voice of one of the, the uh, <laughs> what we do in the shadows people. <laughs> Let me introduce myself. The vampire spoke in a calm yet distant voice. He was glistening with innuendo and syphilis. <laughs> oh, you made wood Cullen. Hey, so and I'm going to Miller. rape you till the cows come home. <laughs> oh my god, guys. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> This was played by T.J. Miller, for sure. I mean, we got four more lines. We yeah. either cut this or we finish this. This was written by T.J. Miller or while Jordan Folk Winnie Roberts the Pooh know hey, it. Hey, 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 just, pow just power through T.J. Just, just Yeah. N Winnie the Pooh noticed that the fear was suddenly replaced by perplexion. Do you know when they are going to come home? He asked, stuttering. Edward's grin was now stretching to the point of explosion danger. <laughs> Light enough, he rain. said, unzipping his trousers. And the other two chapters are called interludes. You know what's hot? Winnie doesn't even have to unzip his trousers. Doesn't have any. Oh, you know what? That is the end of the story. And the rest is him responding... To, to the mountain comments, yeah. Mm. What's his take? 
Okay, I'm going to just read this. I'm going to read it in full. You ready? Yeah. It is time to reply to some reviews publicly. For this, I I interrupt the story of Winnie the Pooh and sex vampires. This this, uh, future colon 97 wrote, This story, one, proves you have no life. Two, you have a sick, sick mind. Three, you have entirely too much time on your hands. And four, I never want to meet you. (laughs) Jesus. Okay, Okay, here's the thing, right? That's a mean comment. Oh, that's, I, yeah, don't throw that out. Uh, four four out of four points with the, on that comment. Oh, batting a thousand in the future, Colin. I don't want to know this person. <laughs> they do have too much time on their hands. Do you guys think <laughs> that... It's like, either you write this online or you kill your cousin and cover it up, you know? So it's like, you gotta do one or the other. Do you guys think that when Winnie the Pooh eats ass, he just sticks his hand up someone's butt and then pulls it out and licks the sides? <laughs> I don't think that. I don't. I was. I was. I don't think that. I've read those fan theories, but out here, Christopher robbing me of my innocence. Ugh. This used to be about stuff. This show. This used to be a show about a community college. <laughs> Oh, man. All right, Richard, you found some, um, some, I can't believe I'm encouraging more <laughs> fan fiction, but Richard, you found some, it's a, it, so we can, far, all three of these have I, been awful, awful. Oh, man. I found a fan fiction, um, so, uh, a lot of the ones, uh, for Blade Runner are actually about 2049, because I guess people who write fiction online love the relationship between a hologram woman and a robot. Um. It just works for them. Yeah, that's, uh. So this one is called... Whereas uh, one about potential robot and robot doesn't quite work for them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this one is called Tears of Rain. And... Uh, oh, there's got to be like 60 Tears in Rains. <laughs> and it says, uh, Ben knows that Kira isn't real, but her product tagline was, everything you want to see, everything you want to I thought you, you were going to say what that pussy is. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> thought I had an ally in this. You and did. that was all it took for him to buy her. And now you don't. So essentially, this is um, if Blade Runner technology was like in Star Wars. And so Ben is Kylo, obviously, and he bought a Joy, and it's Ray. And uh, here, I'll read, uh, the, I'll read a little bit. Uh, ben already told himself that today would be the day that he would turn the emanator on, but first breakfast. He brushed his teeth, changed into a black turtleneck sweater with black pants, and walked to the kitchen. After turning the stove on, he makes his daily eggs with bacon and sits down on his chair and begins to eat. <laughs> Kylo makes eggs with bacon daily. <laughs> daily. <laughs> Kylo waking up. Well, I do have to figure out where Luke is in the galaxy, but first breakfast. <laughs> My favorite thing is that, like, Expressly always talks about it, like, three times it talks about his black pants because it knows that he has to wear them up to his nipples. That's his whole sexuality is the yeah. black pants, right? Yeah. He feels as if the emanator is looking at him, almost as if it's teasing him, saying, you're afraid. 
He continued eating while suddenly the emanator button beeped and had a red glow around it. Ben surprised that he... The, the emanator is horny, you better hurry up. <laughs> ben surprised that he got out of his seat, his food already forgotten. A holographic menu popped up. Snoke Corporation welcomes Kira. We hope you... Snoke Corporation? <laughs> Uh, we hope you enjoy this project, a robotic voice said. But how is that possible? How did it turn itself on? It then showed descriptions of how one would want Kira to look like. It had a variety of different skin colors to eye color, face shape, hair, height, accents, and many more. Ben still surprised at how the item can just do that. Didn't care about how he wanted her to look like, so he chose the original avatar of the girl with the brown hair, hazel eyes, and a smile that could brighten the darkest of rooms. Smile that oh, yeah, was dude. So I familiar. want one of these, but I want I want the girl just look like Rogue the Bat from Sonic the Hedgehog, dude. Yeah. That fucking, <laughs> fucking rip. There's like a thing every episode that I know you make up. <laughs> Rogue the Bat. Make Rogue the Bat real from Sonic so I can marry her. Make Rogue the Bat from Sonic real so I can marry her! After putting in the language he wanted, the emanator had at 90% on, meaning it was almost done with the profile. All it took was the name he would choose for Kara to say. Ben, he said out loud. Congratulations, Ben. We welcome you to Kira, the same robotic voice said. A page shows uploading. A young woman suddenly appeared with her hair half up, half down. She looks at her surroundings, looking curious. She looks at Ben's face and says her first words. Hello, Ben. What a handsome man you are. She had a deep, rich voice paired with an accent that he thought only existed in those old films you would watch sometimes. She had almost... Those old fucking Star Wars films? (laughs) Yeah, Force Awakens. She had almost no makeup on her face except for a a dark red shade of lipstick on her lips. She was wearing the same bikini-style outfit that Snoke showed at the meeting. Can you... Would you mind changing it to something else? Ben asked softly. One of Snug's classic bikini meetings <laughs> that he does in the movies. It's a bit drafty in here, but let's talk about things. I'm just saying, Rogue the Bat kind of wears a bikini. Make a real No, that's here. not a connection. <laughs> that's just another thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so Ben asks, uh, can you... Do you mind changing it to something else? Kira looked down at her outfit. Is this better? She smiled. Her clothes suddenly glitched into a green dress, still wearing the same armband around her right arm with uh, black high heels on. Yes. Ben found that he liked green on her. It reminded him of nature that was once on this earth. You know, earth, the planet he's from. I didn't realize what was going on with Rogue the Bat, and I just looked it up. Make Rogue the Bat real from Sonic so I can marry her! Ugh. Continue, Richard. <laughs> Actually, down there it just gets boring sex stuff. You guys want to hear the Snoke meeting? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if ever me. there's been two guys that want to get through the boring sex stuff to the Snoke meeting. Right. <laughs> a memory jolting his mind of a little girl with three buns in her hair and freckles. The orphan. Advertised as the perfect companion showed a young woman with brown hair up in, uh, up in three buns, hazel eyes, and freckles across her face. 
It showed different pictures of her with different types of clothing, each becoming less innocent than the other. The last picture showed caught everyone's attention at the meeting. She had one hand on her head and her other index finger in her mouth, showing a seductive look. She was shown wearing a sparkly choker with a red bra, her midriff showing a band on her upper right arm, and what looked like a long red veil with a skirt that only covered the front and back. That's fucking Rogue the Bat, dude. <laughs> You're fucking with me now. That is fucking frame perfect. That's why I asked the bat. Up, baby. Uh... Ben almost didn't catch when Snoke said Kira will be more than just a companion. The truth is, gentlemen will be used. She would be used as a sexual product. All right, so we're close to where this has to be done. <laughs> Everyone in the meeting whistled, talking loud over one another. Snoke smirked when he got the reaction he wanted. And for the lonely person, they will definitely feel something. Snoke smiled creepily. <laughs> Snoke's such a pervert. Holy shit. <laughs> Snoke's a little fucking pedo-y pervert. <laughs> Snoke had his little dick on This is the Snoke I wanted to see. <laughs> yeah, this is the Snoke the Snoke fans. Snoke has one really long, yeah. thin dick. This is, if you think about quite that, Snoke, the Snoke theory. People just like in like the same type of meeting uh, Tim Allen was in about the total tank in Santa Claus. Just but like Snoke is like eighteen feet tall. Yeah, what's that dick look like? There's so many options for Snoke's dick to look like. So many dicks could go with his body. It's really insane. That little that's the little paragraph in the Art of book from like J.J. Abrams. <laughs> Yeah, it could be anything. I like to, but I like to imagine Greedo's nose. Yeah, <laughs> Andy and I had a lot of discussions about uh, Snoke's dick. Yeah, we ended up taking the decision all the way back to Lucas himself, and one of the only times we've gone to him after the Disney. Yeah, what if we saw we we set up a lot of stuff about Snoke's dick that Ryan Johnson was not interested in. Yeah, Ryan Johnson just saw the penis stuff and was like, I'm just going to cut this guy in half. I can't deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're not ready. If you were like, dick. wait, if I we don't... We a whole movie just for this. If I don't kill him, you guys are going to do nine all about his dick? Uh, I guess he's dead. <laughs> I guess he's got to go. <laughs> well... Those were wonderful, guys. So, um, um, I think listeners, I, I implore you, uh, go into our reviews, leave a five-star review, and find your favorite fanfic of Blade Runner, and we'll read it on air. Yeah, film fans. Yeah, we'll read it on air. If it's enough five-star five, if it's enough five, uh, five star review. Sorry, I really... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're like an uncle at Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty scary. I've never seen someone, like, die mid-sentence. Yeah, you have one gas station margarita, and you think you can just talk like that now? Yeah. (laughs) Guys, and I'm not even... I keep looking at it as if... I keep thinking you started another one. Like, I don't see any progress. It's also... I've been adding... Also, yeah, that's what I was going to say. People are not imagining a, like, like, dull orange bottle which is what kyle is drinking out of oh man yeah it's like a snapple <laughs> bottle it, he drinks so <laughs> yeah it looks like he's just drinking snapple um yeah <laughs> so 
guys, Ridley Scott has been fired from Blade Runner. Um, the documentary, and nothing I can find is clear. It just seems like Ridley like muscled his way back in. It was kind of like, I kind of similar to what we talked about. Like, why do you think anyone else can finish this at this point? Um, that's why you you'd have to have somebody else sit through two more. Well, that's years why you bring in Ron Howard just yeah. to get caught up. Well, it, that's the thing is there's just no Ron Howard to, to like. It's too crazy. It's been yeah. finished. It's chaos. Um, there's no. And you find studio. out even Ridley had to. Okay. Even Ridley had to do stuff to like finish, like add to the movie, finish the movie, and make it work. Well, it's like it's just uh, proof that like there was no studio yes men at the time that like. Uh, you know, the system hadn't really built and hammered out, like, and told everyone, this is kind of what we want directors to be doing, and, like, this is the kind of bidding we want. And Well, uh, and there's also that sort of thing that comes up a lot, is that they're trying to make Star Wars again. Mm -hmm. And I think pretty quickly it's like, well, there's just no Star Wars to be had here anymore. And judging by um, the fanfic, yes, there is. There clearly is. I mean, there was just not enough Snoke, there was not enough uh, Rogue the Bat. Make her real. <laughs> hey, we all, right, all got so, a weird cartoon we want to fuck. Am I right, though? Oh my god, we have so much more to talk about. Um, but <laughs> hey, what weird cartoon do you want to fuck, Spike? <laughs> on the first, <laughs> on the first screening, uh, Ridley Scott back on the movie has basically. I'd fuck uh, Timmy Turner's mom. Saying, yeah, no, we all would. <laughs> well, because you're just not a face person. Yeah. Don't we never see their faces? No, we see their faces. I think in the, or in the first episode, we don't see the faces. It's cow and chicken. We don't see the faces. I think there's something to unpack there with you. Next week, yeah, Dex, tune in, I guess, it. two weeks from now. One of us will have found uh, some Dex, uh, some cartoon fanfic from our our favorite moms. mom crushes. Yeah, it all ends up just being moms, I guess. Is it fun? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah, all around. It's all right next to the fun. video you're actually watching. <laughs> yeah, I have 32 <laughs> tabs of it open right now. Guys, do my homework <laughs> for me. Yeah, for an episode that will release two weeks before. Like, <laughs> none of this is in order anymore. Um, they don't need so to know Ridley that. on the first screening said, uh, I think it's marvelous. What the fuck does it mean? So, like, even... Which I, I think is the kind of attitude he had the whole time of like, oh, I made a mess. Who would have thought? Yeah, that's um, sort of how the government felt after they made 9-11 happen. But I think that, oh, okay, I think that, um, <laughs> I mean, that's just sort of the reaction to a first cut, you know, is it's like, I like it. This is a mess. Um, Hampton Fancher saw it, and, you know, Hampton Fancher at that point had just been rewritten by David Peoples, and saw it and was like horrified said you ruined it, said I told you so on this and this and this, and it like bummed out uh, Ridley. David Peoples said that like this has really, really gotten out of hand, which shows you that Was there voiceover on no, this? No, there was guy? no voiceover in the script. So that comes uh, pretty soon here. Wait, so the shark was talking? Uh, no, the shark was, no, the shark, <laughs> you're thinking of uh, don't stop talking about the shark now. Why did I bring <laughs> Is your is your opinion that they may be do you think they ever shot any shark related stuff or do you think they were on such a time crunch that they didn't have time to like shoot alternate shark? I would imagine that like if you don't if you barely have the time to shoot the most important scene in the movie, 
you probably can't be making Shark Tank phone calls. Well, you 100% don't have time to make the most important scene in the movie because the shark scene is the most important scene in the movie and you didn't have time right, to Right, I know. I guess... I was going to say, try try telling him that that's not the most important scene. I mean, that this is this is Napoleon he, he Bear Eraser yeah. that I will not stand for. Oh, I am back. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ever since I was a cub, Spike has been sticking up for me. <laughs> Make the path real! Uh, <laughs> Make the path real. David Peoples agreed that the movie was a mess and said that uh, there was a three-page scene that was now 14 minutes long. <laughs> so, like, here's an example of, like, how Ridley was just extrapolating on every other creative person's ideas. Um, and it didn't even stop. So he's already starting to do camera tests on Legend. Um, so they're doing camera tests on Legend with, like, horses and shit in the woods. Oh, and he's horses, like... Huh? Make this horse a unicorn, and they're like, "Why?" And he's like, "For Blade Runner," and they're like, "Why?" And he's like, "I don't know yet." And they just shoot a bunch of unicorn <laughs> footage and bring it back, and he's like, "I have what's gonna fix Blade Runner. It's all this unicorn footage." Which, like, if you can imagine, if you can separate it from it, what you've seen, it's insane to be like, "What this needs is yeah, the would, main character would, dreaming about a unicorn." I would look into purchasing a firearm <laughs> to, like, approach yeah. Ridley in the parking lot after work and be like, you must So, but, but he cuts it in, and this is the, the moments of, like, I think he's such a brilliant director in post. You see that in sort of, glad, like, the obvious cases of, like, Gladiator and All the Money in the World. But this, too, where he really figures out what a movie is once she's watching it constructed. And the unicorn is so brilliantly worked into his dream and the like kind of lyrical nature of the movie and it, it really works Obvi uh, this is obviously something that gets cut out of like the, the theatrical cuts and stuff they're like seriously um, guys cut it out yeah exactly they laugh they watch the hair they say you got it dude um, they do all the stuff and they how rude <laughs> they um, that show had more catchphrases than like any other fucking show like per capita right it definitely had like as many catchphrases as like geico has spokespeople right or kfc has uh, <laughs> has kernels yeah uh kyle you left for 30 seconds and we're trying to figure out how many catchphrases full house had <laughs> <laughs> oh man there, there was, was you got uh, it dude there was that's that's too much man that Stephanie would say. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> Steph the one daughter Stephanie would go, that's no. too much, man. No. <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah, there's you got it, dude. Uh, I know the mom, the, the mom of the twins, the twins, the twins would both say, fat attacked. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, wait until you can speak, Kyle. <laughs> DJ had Oh My Lanta. Yeah. yeah that, that's a real one, Kyle. You did that one. When he would make the news. Oh, a news. 
this just go? Is there, is there a little person in a well? This show is sponsored by whatever Kyle has been drinking. Yeah, whatever Kyle's had three sips of has really got him lit. Orange Phantom Margaritas. Thank you for the support. That orangina, that French orange drink. Oh my god. Guys, uh. listen. They shot the unicorn. It's great. But all the stuff that's like abstract and weird about the movie got, got cut by like the people who did have contractual power to cut down Ridley's movie. Um, Sounds like the biggest so the cut first... was the crew and cast. Hey, oh. Hey, uh, cut so that. Put first... that in the other news. thing. <laughs> so the first test screenings uh, in America resulted in audiences like confusion about the plot and the world and the characters. And they did see something that kind of resembled the final cut. So... Um, do you think that, like... You're in big trouble, <laughs> mister. Do you think... I saw you one. Googling something. God damn. <laughs> do you think this was, like, the start of studios thinking maybe we do need to show the science behind things and explain more? Like, I think uh, it's, like... It, I don't even... Th I'd really, like... It might have been just this convergence of, like, sci-fi not being taken seriously as a... Genre? Um... As a genre, so there were still art films being made in the genre, um, and but like in the post uh, Star Wars thing, it's like, well, now we gotta find a medium, we gotta find what we we do. Here's this guy that made like this intense sci-fi horror movie. I think they're just like they don't know, they can't, they don't want to stand by like pure art with something that cost this much, took this much effort on everybody's part. I mean, T-shirts were printed, Richard. <laughs> You you have to make sure this thing. When it turns so you're saying it was it's like really the just Joker. because everything about sci-fi is you can't like fact check somebody on what things go on with science yeah. fiction in the future, and so you can't really tell somebody their imagination is factually wrong. And I feel like that's where a lot of it is like got uh, when Ridley Scott's making Gladiator, they can be like, no, Rome didn't look like that, right? You know, but like things that are sort of purely imagined. Yeah, um, he he's are, unhinged, you know. Yeah, and they're sort of like they are sort of up for debate. Yeah, and it's like with Alien, he got one ship to design, and the rest of the world was just black space, you know. Right, and he and he and this is two movies in a row where he partners with like a singular artistic like painter to design his movies with H.R. Giger and Sid Mead. Like, he's not doing this the right way. He's not like bringing in the studio guy who has. Like, knows exactly how it should look like Star Wars, but cooler. Star Wars, but gritty. You know, he's, he's bringing in, like, industrial painters and, like, H.R. Giger, who's basically like, how can I make it a vagina or a penis? Yeah, he's, like, bringing in people he, like, smokes weed with, basically. Yeah, no, he's bringing in his, like, his, yeah, like, the people he friends. trips with. Um, so, Bud Yorkin, our old friend, suggests <laughs> Not my bud. narration. So, but he suggests narration uh, as a, which is the obvious sort of quick, like, how do we explain the things? We do it with narration. Um, Ridley in this documentary also claims he brought, he did it. I don't know why they're fighting for this credit. Um, maybe Ridley just doesn't want to admit that somebody told him what to do, but it does seem like Ridley was told, you need to do this. Um, Have mercy. Uh, that's another one. Well, that's another one. Yeah, totally. 
Ah, oh, nuts. No, yeah, Kyle still has the page up, so we're not going to beat Kyle. Um, David, you got it, dude. David Peoples, watch the hair. David Peoples was brought in <laughs> to uh, write the voiceover, uh, and he learned that Hampton was also being written, uh, like, told to write it. So now they're writing, like, competitively, uh, because some people think David's stuff isn't read well, but Hampton's stuff doesn't sound good. Like, it's, no one really has an idea of, like, what this should be. Ridley even says, like, Harrison came to him and said, like, this stuff sucks. Ridley agreed. They tried to rewrite it, and they were like, I have no idea what he should say. Because guess what? This movie was made to not have anybody saying stuff during these shots. And we watched the final cut. Our listeners maybe have only seen the final cut if they're watching along. And, like, any time where, like, the Vangelis music takes over and we see the city or we see him going through evidence, there's narration that's being delivered, like, you know, I was kill. I'm a killer, or what is it? It's like they don't it's, advertise for killers in the newspaper. It's but that's like, what I did. Uh, it's like, have you ever accidentally turned on like menu narration on like a program? It sounds like somebody talking over options you already see with like no tone. You know, be like scene right. selection. Well, and in the in the readings, there's these like unused outtakes from. Uh, the voiceover recording sessions, um, and because uh, it sounds like when you Siri hear... reads your text, you know, like, but if like Harrison Ford sure. was your Siri, well, and the thing is that you hear in this these outtakes, Harrison is like he'll say the line is like, "I needed the streets and I needed food." Pretty weird. Pretty weird. Like he doesn't <laughs> like it out loud. The other thing that he says is he'll be like. Was this real? Was it fake? I don't even know anymore. This is bizarre. God damn, this is bizarre. Those are two <laughs> quotes. He didn't think it would be used. Uh, you know, the sort of the, the lore around it is that, like, it was written poorly intentionally so that the studio would say no to it. But they said yes. Then Harrison delivered it poorly so the studio would say no to it, and they still said yes. I've so heard this story, the, yeah. The sort of myth is that it is intentionally poorly written and poorly delivered that still got yesed by the studio, but it seems like that might not be the case. On the last session, if, Harrison... If that was the case, why would you not then just be like, I'm not happy with it. I want right. to go redo which it. Is, so, which is what the story ends up being. I think that might have been what they tried to do, and Harrison just lost... They all lost... Yeah. Harrison and Ridley lost that battle. Harrison said, on the last recording session... He couldn't find anybody at the studio. Like, he was in the booth and saw nobody in the glass, in the room, anywhere. Found some other room and found a guy he figured was the writer because he was just hammering away on a keyboard. Um, and he goes and he's like, hi, I'm Harrison. And the writer just does this, like, just, like, shoes him away without saying anything and keeps writing. And Harrison leaves. Fifteen minutes later, he is given pages by that guy who is not Hampton Fancher or David Peoples or Ridley Scott. Nobody from the movie seems to be in this in on this session, and that is where most of the uh, the stuff used in the theatrical and international and every cut other than the director's and basically the second Ridley was able to do a version a, a director's cut of this, he removed the voiceover. Hmm. Um, but you hear even again in these outtakes Harrison being really frustrated and people directing him really kind of ag aggressively. Um, and again, it's not Ridley Scott, but you hear him laughing with Ridley Scott when they're trying to do it. It's not 
great. And a lot of it undercuts these great moments in the movie. So I'm going to send you guys some narration to read. This is what basically plays as Gaff, played by Edward James Olmos, um, is driving, is t- has taken Deckard from the noodle bar to the police station, which is, again, sort of the first time you see the city for really what it is, and you the first time the music really goes big over, you know, the city, L.A., and, uh, and Deckard and all that stuff. So, again, I think a very effective part of the final cut and director's cut. Uh, but imagine, Richard, do you have it? Yeah, I got Imagine it. it playing as instead of this great just enjoying the scenery and being overtaken, you hear this. The charmer's name was Gaff. I'd seen him around. Brian must have upped him in the Blade Runner unit. That gibberish he talked was city speak. Gutter talk. A mismatch of Japanese, Spanish, German, what have you. I didn't really need a translator. I knew the language. Every good cop does. But I wasn't going to make it easier for him. Yeah. But, like, is an audience like, yay. Now I get it. Now I get it. Like, a bunch of stuff you don't need. Because a mishmash of Japanese, Spanish, and German is just, like, Tagalog anyways. Like, just have the dude speaking Filipino. (laughs) It's just, the well, it's also just it. like, answers aren't interesting. That's my yeah. thing is that I don't understand how the filmmaker who understood how uninteresting answers are also made Prometheus. Yeah. Like, it's, it seems like such a different philosophical approach to movies. Even the original Alien is like, this is scary because these are all employees who have no idea what is going on. Do you think the answer... Well, I, would, I would argue Prometheus gives you way more questions than it does answers. Right, but, but the, it seems that the initial idea is to give you answers. Well, it's a given inch, sure. take a mile situation. Or Covenant is definitely <laughs> answers. Sure, um, sure. Covenant. But do you think uh, uh, like Studio's answer to this sort of situation is pausing the screen and having that info come up, like a case file or some shit, stylistically? Right, if it, if it came up. Uh, like the remember that blind date show? Yeah. <laughs> like like next. Gaff's gonna mess up in three, two, yeah. one. Going to drop that he was in a Blade Runner unit in three, <laughs> two. How many languages make up city speak? Um. All right. So like the, the one of the most squad. egregious. I have two more. One of the most egregious. This will go to Kyle, uh, which I'm sending now. Is a follow-up to the Tears and Rain speech, which, like, for that to not be the end of that scene... He dies, scene, and then he sits back up, and he's like, and one more thing. Is, well, all the, all the VO was from Deckard. So imagine the, the great, the shots, you know, they're covered in the rain and the blood, and, and Roy like, Batty oh goes... Oh my god, did that dude just die? And he says, all those moments will be lost in time, like tears in rain. I don't know why he saved my life. Maybe in those last moments, he loved life more than he ever had before. Not just his life, anybody's life. My life. All he wanted were the same answers the rest of us want. Where do I come from? Where am I going? How long have I got? Like, why are we... 
Why do we all think I that needs do, more? All I could do is sit there and watch him die. What the fuck? Yeah, we know. We just watched Blade Runner, dude. <laughs> We're watching you watch him die. Like it's again. It's sort of this like. It's that's the other weird thing is that they're assuming that's the stuff the audiences aren't understanding. It's stuff in a video game that'd be a dialogue option I wasn't going to click anyways, you know? Yeah. And so this last one I'm going to send to Richard, um, which is coming after... uh, It comes after he has spoken with the police chief, Brian. You know, the guy who kind of brings him back in for one last job. And I will read the part of Brian, and it'll cue Richard. So, Richard, did you get it? Uh, refreshing. Alright, so Bryant said, I need you, Dex. This is a bad one. The worst one yet. I need the old Blade Runner. I need your magic. I don't have it yet. No? No, it still says uh, loading. One second. Sorry, you're going to have to cut this part. Mm-hmm. Rewind it. All right. And you got it? Got it. I need you, Dex. This is a bad one. The worst one yet. I need the old Blade Runner. I need your magic. I love hamburgers. I love them so... I love hamburgers so much. I love... <laughs> <laughs> Make hamburgers real so I can marry them! <laughs> I love eating them. Cheeseburgers just fine, but hamburgers is my favorite food. <laughs> it's my favorite food. <laughs> he doesn't prefer a cheeseburger. <laughs> Once me and this guy Brian went to a chicken wing eating contest and they were covered in buffalo sauce and it smelled so good. <laughs> Come on. Keep going. But when the event organizer asked me, if I wanted to enter into the contest, I said, no, thanks, Chelsea. Maybe if it was hamburgers, <laughs> then I could stand a chance. Her name was Chelsea. <laughs> I knew that I would only ever win a food-eating competition if it was <laughs> one where you eat hamburgers. I have a lot of practice, and I would enjoy myself even if I got too full. I didn't want to get myself in front of Brian, this police chief. He's an old friend, sure, but in these times, better keep an eye on him. Hmm. I'd like to emphasize once more that hamburgers is my favorite food. I really love them. So, a lot of this is just unnecessary. I would say... Actually, honestly, I'd be back in if that happened. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, what's the left hook? This movie's gonna give me next, baby. All over, just the two of them looking over a projector. God, <laughs> what if a new cut of Blade Runner came out, and instead of like him eating noodles, just like at that little stand, it's just him with chopsticks just slurping up a hamburger? <laughs> you know, sometimes I it's how much I love hamburgers. Sometimes it is nice to realize you're the crazy person cackling on a bus as you write that into your phone at like four in the afternoon. 
Um, uh, that's got to be the t- the T-shirt. So now things, I mean, it, it kind of gets a little. We kind of wind down here. One last thing to note in the documentary is that Guillermo del Toro <laughs> claims like vehemently that he prefers the voiceover, which I think means like instant canceled. Well, yeah, it's why we don't have Hellboy three is because he said that. He says he prefers his like Criterion Laserdisc, which has the voiceover. It went to it was like I think one of the first Criterion films. It's like, but has not got because of its sort of renewed success, has not gotten the the DVD or Blu-ray. Uh, so my man out. is still out here like booting up his Laserdisc. Well, whenever he so. wants to watch Blade Runner, for sure. Yeah, he does not own the Blu-ray. <laughs> he's, just, um, he's not going to rent it on Amazon. So, lastly, there came a mandate to close on a sort of happier note with the audiences. Um, for, like, you know, for the audiences to, like, go out of the theater and feel good about things, you know, instead of just, like, this sort of half, even though it's a, technically a happy ending, sort of the half cliffhanger. Um, so, what is tacked on is footage of Rachel and Decker driving through like the woods in a spinner, like in the brightest sunshine you'll ever fucking seen. And, and Ross there's is like there and Chandler and <laughs> down in, down in, down in. <laughs> and uh, Rachel says, "I'll be there for you." No, Rachel like, literally says, "Rachel says, are we in love?" And Deckard says, "Sure," which is really sweet. And Toots, I only love one thing. It's called hamburgers. <laughs> Voiceover explains that that apparently Tyrell told Deckard that Rachel will live forever, which is like not on screen. It's just this weird VO where like, what if we say she's gonna be alive forever? Um, exteriors of this scene, they kept trying to shoot footage of, um, of the car of the spinner car driving along the highway in Big Bear. And got nothing. They were just with horrible weather. How so big is one this last, bear? One last interest. It's not a Napoleon bear. One last interesting like uh, nugget is that Ridley Scott knew. Uh, you know, uh, The Shining had just come out the year before, and the opening of The Shining is famous with those giant, those huge helicopter shots of the car driving up by the lake to the hotel. And Ridley, think, knowing Stanley Kubrick, knows like there's no way Stanley went to America. There's no way Stanley got in a helicopter. So he probably had people shoot helicopter footage for like a fucking week. Um, and they called Stanley Kubrick, asked them if they could use outtakes from that shoot for their footage. Basically like the, one of the last shots of the theatrical cut. Stanley liked Alien and said, yeah, you can take it as long as you don't use anything that's in... Um, the Shining. They say, "Great." Stanley asks, "Like, did what did you shoot in?" And they, what what's interesting is that the Shining was shot flat on spherical lenses, and uh, Blade Runner was shot anamorphic. So because of that, by squeezing the Shining footage, it made the car look like a sci-fi car. It like made it look like a weird, wide, elongated, not real car. So basically, they were able. They like a few days later like a week's worth of helicopter shots showed up and they got to pick 
from weird if you watch the theatrical cut or anything that's not the director's or final you'll see weird shining outtakes at the end that's um, so bizarre huh yeah i wonder if that's ever been done with other movies yeah um from like major auteur to major auteur i feel like yeah that's no. a, that's a that's a good cracked yeah. article yeah cracked if you're listening well, because you see things like where like Michael Bay reuses his same plates, like the same like highway chase plates in like three movies. Yeah. Oh, really? So where like there's either an Autobot destroying a car, like another car destroying a car, or like something in the island. Like, yeah. But that's again just, I mean, Michael Bay is another guy who's just sort of resourceful and gets movies done for somehow cheaper than I feel like Michael Bay's movies do look like they cost five hundred million dollars. And like yeah. he's just he's another example of a guy who's like, well, how can we do this a little easier? Um, so yeah, another great example of like Ridley really early in his career being really resourceful and really smart, and not being afraid to reach out to someone like Stanley Kubrick. And that is sort of the story of The Shining. Everything else is kind of well known. It comes out, does okay. But it you mean builds this, up. That's this... the story of Blade Runner, not The Shining. Yeah. Well, no, we'll talk <laughs> about The Shining. <laughs> Were we not just talking about The Shining this whole time? <laughs> it's the story of Blade Runner. It comes out. There are tons of cuts to this movie, TV cuts and this and that. Um, but it's not until 92 that there's a director's cut that comes from basically, you know, Ridley's stock has gone up, Harrison Ford's stock has gone up, and the movie is just sort of this revered thing. So uh, for the 10-year anniversary, a director's cut is made, which removes the voiceover and adds back in uh, you know, elements of the uh, unicorn dream, which is so integral to the last piece of the origami with you know, Gaff and all that. Um, and then the final cut, 15 years later, had an entire production process of digitally replacing that stunt woman's face of... Um, Added, digitally replacing Harrison Ford's face in one scene with uh, his son. His son was the age that his dad was when they made Blade Runner. They needed him to just sort of be another facial replacement for a dialogue scene, and they did that. And it's just this: there was a little bit of a budget for Ridley to create sort of his last definitive creative statement with the movie, uh, which is what you get with the final cut. So it's almost to the point where 2049 is only a sequel to the final cut. There, it, right, it really right. only works canonically with what is established in that because the final cut hits home most of all this mystery of Deckard being yeah. a replicant or not and sort of the, the idea of the movie being about that question for him. Well, thank you for sharing, guys, and thanks for listening. Um, Kyle, what are we going to listen to... Uh, Next week, what are we going to watch if we're going to watch anything? Uh, well, guys, we're not watching anything. Um, we're going to take the podcast up a notch and craft a story. <laughs> Minecraft. We're going to talk about the development of the video game Minecraft. Oh, man. And the movie based on it. Yeah, and the movie they tried to make a, uh, they're, they're trying to make a, a Minecraft movie. Yeah, you guys aren't crazy. This is the this is one of the first times we're doing something that's like there's nothing nothing has been made here. Yeah. 
there is i mean you can go I on mean, youtube and watch minecraft the movie but it's just made by a bunch of 12 year olds there's plenty of richard yeah. picks that you can be like nothing has been made here but uh yeah. this is truly yeah, enough has been made here. dragons movie yeah. are we gonna revisit dungeons and dragons soon by the way we gonna watch that again uh we gotta watch the new one when it comes out and talk about it I yeah starring like sure. uh, chris pine star of 1084 as dungeon all right y'all listen uh you don't have nobody has homework it's like a great uh weekend or a great week of school no one has homework you just have to tune in next week to minecraft the movie um thank you for listening this week y'all you can catch me on instagram at hg spike and thank you to van foley for our intro music his new album got the whole room looking at me is probably on your phone somewhere you just got to look it up Bye, demons. Bye. Does anybody else have an Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> we do. They know. They fucking know. They know. They fucking know. I, I, hey, you want to my fucking Instagram? <laughs> Go listen to another episode, you piece of shit. Hey, how about the fact that <laughs> none of you, fucking none of you have added me on PlayStation to play anything together? All right? All right. Pepper Jack fans. Blowing so much pack, look like drift, race a movie. In here with the 